And welcome to the second All About Windows Phone Insight podcast for the week. Amazingly enough, we're actually going to call this Insight 125 and recording this on the Thursday, which is the 22nd of January 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield with me, Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Yes, we're recording this really the day after the big Microsoft announcement. That took place in the evening our time, so we've effectively had 24 hours to digest it, to think about it and take on board some of the implications. We will uh, catch up on a few other bits of news that have been happening in the last few days as well. But our main focus is, of course, going to be talking through Windows Tone with a particular emphasis on the phone side of things. So hopefully we'll touch on some of the other announcements as well. Yeah, I, I should mention, actually, as you mentioned, Windows Phone is a phrase there that we just have the answer that we've been looking for for a while in the tech world as to what will happen to the name going forwards. And it seems to be that the phones will, um, from the middle of this year onwards, effectively be running just Windows 10. I, I may, Maybe in, in the small print it will say Windows 10 Mobile or Windows 10 for phones, who know. But I should emphasise, Rafe, that I'm, I'm predicting you're not going to change the name of our site. Maybe we can just be all about Windows for phones, which is still AAWP. Yeah, I, I don't think I can foresee a, a name change coming. And I think a lot of people are going to continue to refer to it as Windows for phones or some variation on that. Because uh, despite the fact there is a, a, kind of a common core as we had in Windows 8, and there's kind of more commonality now, particularly with the announced universal applications, which we'll touch on in a moment, there obviously are still differences between the various uh, variants of Windows. But it's been notable, actually, that a lot of the marketing around Windows phone devices has, has concentrated on just calling them Windows devices. Uh, I don't think that's uh, a mistake or uh, an omission by any means. I think that's very deliberate, kind of almost preparing the marketing and the market for what's, uh, we can, to be honest, expected for a while to come. And it is, you know, obviously Microsoft's big consumer brand. And it always was a bit awkward when you ended up saying it was a, a Windows phone phone, but now you can refer to it as a Windows phone or a Windows smartphone and, uh, and people will know what you're talking about pretty much immediately. So yes, you're right to say, I think it's fair, fair to say we won't be changing the site name anytime soon. Um, all about Windows phone still quite nicely sums up what we talk about. And just to kind of reiterate, as we've said before, our main focus is going to remain on the mobile devices, particularly the smartphones. But that doesn't mean we won't sometimes touch on kind of the broader Windows issues. I mean, I think more and more with Windows 10, they're becoming kind of companion devices. But I don't think necessarily everyone has to use a, a Windows PC and a Windows phone device however we choose to refer to them. So uh, our particular focus here is really to stay on the mobile element. Yeah, absolutely. We should just recap very briefly. I don't go on to uh, go over the entire two-hour presentation from Microsoft <laughs> in detail, but our, our story did hopefully summarize the main points. Um, the fact that, that for example, as this Insider program is going to take over from the, quote, preview for developers, I guess acknowledging, Rafe, that um, the, the everyday enthusiast and consumer wants us to have an early look at uh, the software rather than just, quote, developers, which is a very misleading term in that context. It is. I mean, the developer program actually got used by lots and lots of people. There were some suggestions that as many as 5 or 10% as the install base were actually trying out new versions. And obviously, Windows Insider actually comes from the kind of the Windows 10 uh, for PC program. They've had the Insider program where they've had about 1.7 million people kind of installing early versions of Windows 10 as part of the technical preview. That's obviously now being extended to Windows Phone as well. And it, it kind of makes sense have a 
common nomenclature across all of those kind of insider developer preview programs. But what it means is that people will be able to get the, this new version of Windows or at least a kind of early version of it on their phones. And it's sometime in February is the timing for this, as we kind of predicted on the last podcast. In terms of when it will arrive in new devices, again, I think that's going to be kind of towards the end of spring. And there's actually been some news out today that the version will arrive on existing devices sometime in the summer so that's pretty much late summer what we said yesterday (laughs) yes late summer so i think uh, steve's estimate of august might be more accurate than my guess of july there we go yes Uh, also announced yesterday of course um cortana of course coming across to desktops and tablets but we most people listening to this have been using cortana now certainly in the uk usa and in many other countries um for quite a while the start screen is changing windows phone this is interesting rafe i've been a big fan of these these transparent live tiles and you set your own background but you kind of have to flip that on its head now now we're going to have graphical backgrounds behind the tiles and the the live tiles become semi-transparent which could be a bit of a pig's ear if you don't get the graphics right yeah, I was a bit a bit sad to see this really because I kind of got the live tiles that I like and I you know kind of like having the graphics on them as well. But I can see that this is going to be a little bit easier to implement and certainly you'll get less of a problem around sort of some of the out of place tiles when they weren't transparent. And yeah. it's worth pointing out that these are actually kind of semi translucent live tiles now and that you'll be able to kind of see through to the background. And actually having the background going right across your display does make more sense. And as of course is also in keeping with uh, windows on tablets and PCs. So it, it kind of does all make sense. Um, and there are, you know, as you say, a couple of tweaks to the uh, app list as well. We've got that in the main story. Um, it, I mean, in, in some senses, there aren't any really big UI or experience changes in Windows 10 for phones. It's far more about the universal apps, which we'll touch on in a minute. But I think that's probably a good thing. Um, a lot of the things in Windows Phone 8.1 and Windows Phone 8 were just about tweaking that experience. And you know, it doesn't feel like there's a big need to update that, at least in my opinion, where it had started to fall down, where some of the apps were starting to creak a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to touch on a couple of UI um, specific items. The Action Center, the button shortcuts bars, which I think is four or five or six, depending on which device you've got, different shortcuts, different um, connectivity, typically, or profiles. Um, that can now be expanded with a gesture. So just as like on, for example, Samsung's Touch was an Android, you can kind of swipe down and you all of a sudden you get to see all of them, which is actually quite handy. I'm, I'm guessing they take, they've taken a crib from Android here, but uh, it's certainly that's a good innovation. And also, I, I should just give a brief shout out to the fact that you can now move the touch keyboard around, which I guess won't be much use to anyone except someone with a 1520 and a giant screen. Indeed, yes, good update for Action Center there. There's also an update to the settings application, which gets a lot more organized, and it's actually uh, shared across with Windows 10. It's a, a universal application, essentially sorting it more into categories, and it's on, on the desktop, actually. It's a kind of a merger of PC settings and control panel at long last. There's lots of those little bits of tidying up that have gone on, and you'll also see kind of more commonalities in the UI between kind of phone, tablet, and You see, it is worth mentioning when we're talking about this uh, UI, at least for phones, it's also going to apply on tablets that have a screen size of eight inches or less. Where this does get a bit more complicated is when you talk about apps, we've already referred to universal apps and presumably um, Windows 10 for phones will also run legacy Windows phone applications, but it's not probably going to run legacy Windows apps, whereas some of the tablet devices, you know, those that aren't Windows RT or at least don't have that legacy 
will be able to run them. So that's what I mean when we talk about it being kind of one platform. That's a slight misdirection. I mean, it's certainly heading that way and all the modern new stuff is that way, you know, one experience, one place everywhere. It's better use of OneDrive. This idea of roaming data and settings, which is a a pretty big one. Um, But this is a good example of the number of kind of small UI and UX enhancements in this update. Another one that's worth picking out, Steve, is probably that it looks like the keyboard now has a kind of a precision pointing stick for moving through text and so it will make it easier to do text corrections or to do bits of highlighting it's not entirely clear how that's going to work but it's not the only update to the the input mechanisms on windows 10 is it yeah i just wanted to give a shout out and we've talked about voice recognition of course in the past and i have to say up till now, and I've been living on the preview for developers, there's been quite a lot of voice input and an awful lot of keyboards and an awful lot of places in Windows Phone. You can actually just dictate text, but not all of them. And I think the point they were making in the Windows 10 launch yesterday was that this voice input would now be universal, and to use that, use that word universal again, but in a different sense, so that whichever, whichever field you are, if there's any chance of entering real world words, there will also be the chance of using your voice to enter those words. And I think that's, uh, it's nice to have that fully consistent. It is. It's very sensible. It's good from an accessibility point of view. Uh, I think another one that we could pick out is to talk about the way that notifications have changed a little bit. So, for example, when you get a message-based uh, toast notification, that's the one that appears along the top of the screen, you'll now have a chance to tap on it and interact with it and reply to that text message or that incoming message. So think think of getting a text message or a WhatsApp message or a Skype message. You know, it's got a bit of text in it. You tap on it, you can reply there and then without having to go deeply into the app application it's the sort of thing that ios has done for a while and indeed android's done it yes, too yeah so you know it's kind of those expected updates to just keep up to date with what's going on elsewhere but you know very welcome and it's probably worth saying that we're not necessarily seeing the final version of windows 10 here there may be other bits that you know weren't talked about in the demo that in the preview or indeed that get added later on um but you know there's some really great stuff actually another update i like is the messaging system did you spot that one steve uh, tell me about it. I've just, I'm just about to kick off into universal apps, so briefly uh, okay. go with Okay, so this is uh, actually going back to something we had before, whereby you could switch between the kind of messaging system that you were using. So you could switch between SMS and Skype and Messenger, and that was obviously in older versions. That's coming back, having been removed. Now, there is some suggestion that it will also take up on third-party uh, messaging apps, so that would be something like WhatsApp or indeed any of the other of those over-the-top messaging services, that's obviously going to depend and rely on those applications integrating things uh, to that extent. We don't know whether that will happen, but I really do like the idea of multimodal messaging where you can just choose whichever service is most appropriate for the occasion. You know, it might sometimes be text messaging because, you know, you don't have a, a decent data signal or sometimes it will be data signal because you don't have uh, cellular or whichever way it happens to be if you're roaming or something like that, or you just know that people are more likely to respond on one form of messaging or the other. So really pleased to see that come back. And I wonder whether there might not be a, a few more surprises in there like that. I mean, there there's certainly a lot of sort of tweaks that actually you only spot when you look at some of the demos. And a good example of that is Cortana's actually got a bit of a new look and feel. It's partly matching what it's got on the PC and tablets, as you alluded to earlier, but just seems to be a slightly better use of space on the screen, just presenting information in a slightly yeah. better way. You know, those kind of iterations are inevitable. And, uh, you know, I'd describe the changes we talked about to the start screen as being very similar to that. 
Um, but for me, the big story on Windows 10 for phones is really all about the universal applications, which yeah. means a whole raft of application updates. And we only really got glances at them. So it's not yeah. possible to give the full rundown, Steve, but really quite impressive. Absolutely. And to think these are genuinely universal applications. This is not smoke and mirrors. These are uh, the applications which will run essentially the same code um, presumably just rendered slightly differently according to the form factor, according to the physical space available. But the same code and seeing the um, the office touch or touch office or whatever they end up calling it with that full ribbon functionality. Okay, you don't see the entire ribbon at once in in office on the phones, but you can see each module from the ribbon one by one and presumably swipe between them. It's got the recent document list, which is synchronized between whatever you're doing on the desktop and whatever you're doing on the phone, that's a really nice touch. <laughs> you don't have to keep remembering what you called that file and what you're working on. You literally can just pick up where you left off from the laptop, on the desktop, on the tablet, on the phone. Really nice. Um, also, just want to mention that uh, these universal apps have been coming really, and they've been in the pipeline for a few months, even a year or so. We saw applications like Calendar and, of course, famously Xbox Music and Xbox Video um, being kind of taken out of the core operating system in into separate binaries, separate applications. And this looked a bit strange at first. We thought, well, maybe it's just for ease of updating. And, of course, that's part of it. But also part of it was that these applications were becoming genuinely universal so that the same work be done by Microsoft and would apply to both you know, music and uh, video and calendar and now photos and me um, and the people hub even that that's being people application as universal app is being implemented on the laptop tablet and phone all of these applications can be worked on once by Microsoft, developed once, bug fixed once, and rolled out under all the different form factors. I think this is a really impressive system. And compared to, I mean, Android and iOS have their their benefits. Uh, Mac OS has its benefits on, on laptops and desktops. But uh, this this vision from Microsoft of having uh, the same operating system on all three form factors and indeed the same physical applications through the, through the universal program, um, it's really starting to persuade me. And I'm a bit of a, uh, an Apple Mac fan on the desktop and laptop, but uh, this is kind of persuading me. I'm actually quite looking forward to getting my hands on Windows 10 on a laptop computer uh, and then integrating it with my Windows phone. This, this could actually go quite a long way. I think that's right. I mean, I've talked about the commonality factor in the past, but it really does feel like it's starting to deliver on something that Microsoft has talked about for a long time. And it's worth saying that there is this kind of roaming of data and documents, and that's obviously powered by OneDrive. But you're referring to kind of the ribbon toolbar and the recent documents list. The thing is, that will show the same set of recent documents on the PC as it will on the phone and on the tablet. So if you're in a multi-device world, and a lot of people are, and they may have you know a phone, a tablet, and a laptop, or even a you know a computer at work, computer at home, or whatever it happens to be, that starts to be really quite a powerful and, and compelling message. Now, I, I think there will be you know pitfalls along the way. It won't necessarily work perfectly, and obviously you do have to be running Windows 10 across all your devices. But this idea of a kind of continuous experience, I think, is one that until you try it out and actually see how it works, I think it's a bit unfair to sort of be a bit sniffy or sceptical about it. I'm already seeing some commentary which would go, well, big deal. You know, Apple has the continuum. It has the, that kind of functionality. But I don't think anyone's taken it quite as far as, as Microsoft. So really intriguing to see how this works in practice. And I, I just want to pick out a couple of other universal apps. And probably worth saying that 
there will be a difference in the presentation layer, in the kind of the UI layer. And it's not completely clear how much work goes into doing that. I think in some cases, it's a relatively small amount. In the case of something like Office, obviously, a great deal more work is required. But it is absolutely fair to say that they do have this common core. And so you know, for developers as well, this is great news because it makes it easier to create these cross-device applications. But also for consumers as well, it does mean that set of consistency. There's always a danger there, of course, because I don't think necessarily having exactly the same app that works in the same way is always going to be a good thing. But certainly if the principles are the same and the similar design languages used, I do think that's uh, desirable. I mean, Office was getting all the headlines because it's a big deal. It's been a, a while since uh, Touch has you know, been talked about for Office and we've seen it arrive recently on the iPad and Android. And apparently actually a lot of the code in this universal app is kind of quite similar to what's happening in the Android application. Be interesting to see how that plays in obviously to the traditional Office running on traditional Windows desktop. There's not really a great deal of clarity around that. But as you say, it's also the calendar and the photos app. We're also getting it in music in uh, Xbox gaming as well. And the settings I referred to earlier, we might talk about Spartan as a browser in a minute as well. But what's uh, great about this is it's you know, a true vision of this cross-device um, life, if you like. And I think typified by that was the announcement that the music can now be stored on OneDrive and will work across all devices. That's something, again, it's not something that's new. We've seen the Amazon Cloud Player, we've seen uh, Google and Apple do similar things as well. But it'll be interesting to see just how well this comes off Obviously, when you're talking about Windows, which is still the most popular PC operating system, and then onto tablets and phones. The the one thing it does make me wonder, Steve, is whether suddenly devices like the 1520 are going to become a lot more popular because actually having that extra, extra screen space will make applications like PowerPoint or Excel a bit easier to use. But it certainly boosts the uh, productivity credentials of the platform. Um, I, I just have some pauses for concern over what this does on the smaller screen devices. I mean, something like the Lumia 620 might not be quite well suited for the universal applications. But of course, that doesn't mean that's a necessarily a big deal because it you know it's what application you're going to use on the phone and there is still the core um, ui which is actually based around these smaller screen devices of course so all in all very interesting indeed um should we talk a bit about spartan i just wanted to mention before you move on okay. that the, the thing about music and music in the cloud and it's it's obviously <laughs> this was coming for quite a while and of course it has competition across the mobile world but as you say with the sheer amount of people with windows desktops maybe this could actually get traction but of course um a uh, i just wanted to mention briefly that the music connect and and several other windows utilities have been doing this for a while so probably a lot of people listening to this will have actually have been using their windows music collection in the cloud but of course this will be a much more slick solution and presumably will have some kind of tool at the pc end to do the auto uploading so that people don't have to at all manually but um just all along the back of that, um, what about space? Because most people, I'm going to have to take myself as an example, I've got about 30 to 40 gigabytes of music. I don't think I'm exceptional here. Most people don't have that much OneDrive space. Now, presumably, Microsoft, Microsoft is going to have to do something in terms of offering people another set of bonus, like they have, for example, for uploading photographs, so that if you use our music upload service, we will give you an, a spare, an extra 25 gig, something along those lines. Otherwise, this just isn't going to work. Uh, it's true. I mean, it's 
be interesting to see what happens there, whether there is any kind of bonus. But of course, you can turn that around the other way and say that you're getting the operating system for free. Certainly, uh, Windows 10 is going to be free for Windows 7 and 8 users, and it's obviously a free upgrade for Windows Phone users. And you're getting quite a few applications and services as well. Getting that all for free, Microsoft has to make its money somewhere. And kind of the betting is really that it's using things like Office 365 and potentially OneDrive uh, storage upgrades to, to kind of make its money. And certainly, uh, I would say for people who are committed to investing in this ecosystem, bear in mind that you're not going to have to pay for the new version of the operating system. Certainly take a close look at something like Office 365, which will give you updates to all the Office applications, yeah. but it'll also give you OneDrive space, basically unlimited. A terabyte, um, yeah. You know, a, a terabyte <laughs> yeah. for all intents and purposes, it gets, gets to the unlimited point. And, you know, yeah. that that's kind of the new Microsoft business model going forward. And, and in some ways, I think it's better because it really, uh, it, you get the core experience for free, if you will. And then if you start using it and going further, absolutely, you should have to pay for it. It's actually the bits that do cost money. And if we are going to live in this cloud-first, mobile-first world, then uh, it, it makes sense to kind of charge on usage more than it does uh, kind of on one offer a new operating system release. And that's only reiterated by the fact that Microsoft is planning both across phones and PCs to kind of turn Windows almost into a service with updates occurring when they're ready to be released, not waiting for a new big version update and it, i think microsoft get a bit carried away when they talk about this because people are still going to look forward to major releases or major updates but i think it will establish a pattern as we've seen on windows phone of kind of these continuous rolling pattern of updates you know we've seen it with uh, uh lumia cyan and then lumia denim and obviously that's sitting underneath those uh windows phone 8.1 update one update two etc we're going to see that happen going forward and it's spreading to the pc and the desktop so really interesting stuff yeah, I just wanted to mention briefly, Along, you mentioned that uh, Microsoft obviously has to charge for some of these services, otherwise it won't be making money. But, uh, um, of course, on the in the Google world, world, for example, there is a certain number of songs, I think something like 20,000, or um, there's a certain number of songs you can upload for free, and after that, you then have to start paying. I still expect Microsoft to say something like, you get 25 gig free for starting your music collection in the cloud, and when you go over 25 gig, then you start paying us either for a, a OneDrive space, or as you say, just go for a 365, and then you have unlimited. So there there are, there are ways of getting people to pay, but I suspect there will be a free tier. But um, Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that makes sense because, you know, you're also seeing photos being updated into a universal app. And actually, they're introducing things like AutoFix, which, uh, again, Google has done before. But, yeah. you know, there's very much that emphasis. You keep all your media on OneDrive. And as you say, you know, 15 gigabytes disappears quite quickly. I mean, I'm using about 70 or 80 gigabytes at the moment. It's one of the reasons I do have a, an Office 365 subscription. Um, even with all the updates and bonuses I've kind of accumulated over the year, I'd still have to be paying. Uh, and frankly, I'm um, getting Office for it's sort of seventy pounds a year, and then getting as much space as I can use in my cloud storage is excellent value for money, especially when I compare it to what I was paying for things like Dropbox and also on Google Drive as well. I mean, those prices yeah. are shifting all the time, and actually, the cost of cloud storage has been dropping regularly over the past few years. But none, nonetheless, I mean, you, you look at the complete Microsoft offering, and, and it, it looks pretty attractive. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's interesting that the whole buzz around the Windows 10 event was almost one of a little bit of disbelief that this was the same Microsoft as was operating a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm celebrating it, by the way. If I'm slurring my words, have a listen to this. 
I've actually got a beer bottle on the go, and for people who watch my photo comparisons, I've actually opened the beer this time. Excellent news. <laughs> anyway, but I'm, I'm struggling on. Right, um, just we want to mention Project Spartan. This is interesting, Rafe. I suspect it's going to have more of an impact on the desktop than on the phone because Internet Explorer for Windows Phone was actually fairly good, fairly streamlined. Um, there are obviously improvements here. They, they claim a, a new rendering engine, or at least a tweaked rendering engine. They, they claim to have, in Project Spartan, to have reimagined the browser and stripped away all the legacy stuff that Internet Explorer might have brought along. Again, I don't think this is necessarily applying to the phone so much. On the desktop, certainly, um, you can do collaborative note-taking. You can mark up rendered pages as a clipping tool, as a reading mode. I suspect most of these will actually make their way to the phone phone version. Again, this is undoubtedly going to be a universal application. And, of course, there's um, Cortana built in. Um, I'm guessing also that they will end up calling this something like Internet Explorer or just Expl uh, Web Explorer or something. I think Project Spartan is obviously a code name, and I, I'm, just, I'm kind of at a loss as to what they're going to call it and what, how they'll then promote this along with Internet Explorer in the same device yeah it's going to be an interesting one because obviously you're used to seeing the internet explorer icon on uh windows phone and it would be i think a mistake at doing what they're doing on the pc to have both sitting on the device just choose one browser one of the interesting things about spartan is it actually has two rendering engines in it kind of the new spartan one plus the old ie one for handling legacy sites and that's particularly for corporates which is a, a clever way of doing it it will be interesting to see whether these some of these kind of extra features particularly around annotations really catch on i mean i, I kind of think it might do because those who have used OneNote and annotation in that are big fans of it and it, it's just really about can you make it easy to use and something that's easy to find and understand and certainly there's definitely potential for innovation around how you use the browser whether that's on the pc or on the on uh, on the phone but i guess a lot of people are going to be pleased to see this because internet explorer is probably not the most loved uh, web browser in the world and it, it's kind of interesting that Satya Nadella, microsoft ceo basically used quite emotive language you know he's talked about people wanting people to love windows again and it to be their you know the favorite thing in there yeah you know, can you can you love an operating system i i don't know but very different to the kind of language that microsoft has used before and actually this mobile first cloud first philosophy that uh Satella Nadella has espoused I think it is very attractive I and mean, it is a big change from what's gone before and we've seen that uh, with Microsoft services becoming available on other platforms and there was a whole question around you know what what's the value of Windows Phone when you can get Office when you can get Xbox when you can get all these Microsoft services on Android and iOS and actually I think what Windows 10 does very clearly is demonstrate why there's value to having windows on your phone on your tablet as well as on your pc it's that seamless movement of apps of data of settings between them all and having that one similar experience i mean i think it will feel quite jarring if you're used to using a windows 10 pc to then switch to android and ios if you've got an alternative of a, a windows device it would be an interesting one to see whether that has an impact on consumers we've talked about it before but there just hasn't really been the, the true impact you know, Windows Phone has always looked a bit like Windows. There's certainly been the common metaphors, you know, the things like the start screen and a lot of the design language, but it hasn't really met up in the same way because, you know, it's been a bit isolated. It hasn't had the data. I mean, that's coming in time and it's had the common core and it's had OneDrive and we saw that coming a lot more in Windows Phone 8. But Windows 10 really does deliver on that promise. Uh, it, it, it's easy to get carried away with this when we kind of see it in theory, uh, but certainly having used a, a Windows 8 a desktop and a laptop and then using windows phone device i've appreciated more and more the commonalities you know it's the little things like being able to open 
the the tabs in Internet Explorer and see what I had on my phone or vice versa. Again, something that's in Chrome, but you start to imagine that extended across your whole working life. It gets really interesting. And I think Office in particular will, will, will be there. Of course, they'll be doing the same thing for the iOS and Android versions. But is it going to be a case of you'll get the first and the best experience when you use Windows across all your devices? And it's easy to see that some people might well come to love it and it will sort of give Microsoft something of a a good name again amongst consumers. Be really interesting to watch the reaction once it gets out into a public and is not sort of in the echo chamber of technologists (laughs) in the blogosphere. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think also once Windows 10 really does start to get out there as a, as a, as a free upgrade for all Windows 7, Windows 8, Windows 8.1 users in the consumer sphere, so across the world, uh, in the latter half of 2015, the early part of 2016, there will be a halo effect and people will start think, A, liking it, B, using it and C, thinking, hang on a minute, you can get phones with exactly the same interface and I can take all my data and everything sync nicely and I think there will be a big follow-up and take-up in Windows 10 for phones <laughs> sales, if I can put it that way, um, as Windows 10 for desktops and tablets takes off. So I think it'll all work very well and I think we could be looking at a very different uh, market share figure for the phone side of things in, say, 12 months' time. Yeah, it, I think that's entirely possible. I think it takes a while for the market to move like that, whether it's 12 months or 24 months, but it certainly gives every reason to think that Windows on phones can grow from where it is now. And I mean, Windows 10 on the desktop, you know, people talk about Windows 8, and I, I can absolutely understand that it's a sort of cognitive dissonance between the traditional desktop Windows and the modern Windows, sometimes called Metro, the kind of the tablet interface. And Windows 8 almost steered too hard that way in a lot of ways. Windows 10 on the PC, on the desktop, kind of feels like a marriage of Windows 7 and Windows 8, taking some of the best of both. There's some neat features. Continuum, I think, is the one I would pick out as being interesting, that on the two-for-one devices, it will actually switch between kind of a tablet mode and and then a desktop mode. So it feels like it's been optimized rather than you know trying to force the tablet or the touch experience on everybody. And so that's really interesting. And that's also reflected, of course, in the universal applications as well. And also the way that the start menus come back, all the stuff that we're kind of familiar with with Windows 10 from the technical preview really does make a difference. And so that free upgrade would be available, as I say, for Windows 7 and Windows 8 users. And for a lot of people, there's going to be a bit of a, I don't want to do that, I'm not quite sure. But Microsoft's giving everyone a year to upgrade for free before they then start charging. It'd be really interesting to see how much that does happen. I mean, people joke about Microsoft having sort of somewhat similar pattern to Star Trek movies in that alternate releases seem to be quite good. I and mean, we talk about Windows <laughs> XP and how people really like that. And Windows 7 has proved very popular. Windows 8 didn't quite cut the mustard and go back to abominations like Windows Millennium and, and various other versions. You can get too carried away with that sort of thing. But Windows 10 does show every sign of being a very strong OS for Microsoft. And while it's easy to sort of get carried away and say, oh, but it doesn't matter anymore. You know, the world's all about smartphones. Android's the world's biggest computing platform, which it absolutely is. I don't think you can underestimate the amount of time that people do spend sitting in front of their laptops or their PCs. And so it still does remain the place that you do most of your work and most of your heavyweight computing experience. At the same time, don't get too excited or too carried away by it because Microsoft does face an uphill battle in mobile. You know, it's globally less than 5% market share. That means, you know, very few people are actually 
will experience Windows on a mobile device to begin with. And so they still have a long way to go. So the vast majority of people using the desktop PCs or the tablets won't actually get that kind of cross-device experience simply because they don't have the phone element. So I, I guess you could say all of those of us who do have a phone are actually going to be in the lucky position of kind of getting the complete vision that Microsoft is offering and will be the first to see it and probably the first to appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm still going to go out on a limb, though. I, I would say that um, Windows Phone will have a worldwide um, market share of 10% by Mobile World Congress 2016. Now, that may be slightly ambitious. I know you're going to <laughs> ooh and ah at that, but I'm going to stake my claim. I think we'll get close to that with the halo effect of Windows 10. But let's move on, Rafe, because I've been controversial again. Um, in the oh, last dear. podcast, I, <laughs> I did theorize that the, the new base spec for Windows Phones of um, a gigabyte of RAM and eight gig of internal storage, as evidenced on the new devices, the 435 and the 532, and of course the 535, um, was, was because we, they, Microsoft knew full well that Windows 10 really needed that to work properly. Now, we did have some confirmation from Chris Weber over in America, who we've dealt with in long, many years in the Nokia sphere. Um, and he was quoted as saying, and I'll, I'll read this quote out, like any upgrade to a new operating system, not every phone will upgrade or support all possible Windows 10 features. Our goal is for the majority of Lumia phones running Windows Phone 8 and 8.1 to join the Windows ecosystem. So it's clear that he certainly believes that it's not every phone um, will get the upgrade or even be offered the upgrade. In fact, he talks about the word majority, not even most or not nearly all, but the majority implying more than half. Now, I wrote a little piece and I've got, already got some stick for it. I was claiming um, that certainly the, the Lumia 530 and the HTC 8S, you know, four gigabyte um, internal storage, I mean, they, they re- they're going to be out of the loop. Surely they're not going to be offered the upgrade. There just will not be enough room. However efficient Windows 10 is running on a Snapdragon chip, um, they're just going to, the user's going to run out of room. They certainly won't be able to handle the update. I, and I still strongly suspect that the 520 and the 635 and the 630, they've sold really well. Microsoft will be crazy to abandon them completely. And I did notice there were some videos today of, of Windows 10 running on a 630 um, over in America. But how, quite how well that, that runs, I still suspect that Windows 10 for the, the 512 megabyte devices um, will take longer. It'll come later and there will be compromises in the experience and compromises in the functionality. So I'm kind of sticking by my guns. I still maintain Microsoft knows full well that a gig of RAM and eight gig of storage is required for a really good Windows 10 experience on the phone and everything else is, is sort of secondary after that. But uh, other opinions are available and they've been and they're expressed in the comments. Right <laughs> they are okay. expressing the comments. I mean, I, I think you are right to draw a distinction with those devices. I think they absolutely will get the update. Um, but there may well be features or individual bits that aren't there. We've kind of seen the same thing happen, frankly, with the Lumia camera, which incidentally Microsoft was kind of on record as saying that's going to be available across all Windows 10 devices. I think in a way that's a bit misleading because obviously you only get the full Lumia camera (laughs) experience on the top-end devices. And I think the same will apply to Windows 10. And so while I think in theory the update will be available to every single Windows Phone 8.1 device, I think in practice there will be some bits that aren't quite there. Things like the universal applications, I absolutely expect to make it. it. It's hard to pick out at this stage what won't make it. But I think also that caveat from Chris Weber is also about that some devices won't ever get the update because they won't get approved by the carriers or they won't get approved by the manufacturer. And you picked out the out the HT8S there. It's kind of one of the very lowest end Windows Phone 8 devices. I wouldn't be that surprised if HTC don't put the effort in 
to kind of issue the update. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see something similar from a lot of the kind of second tier manufacturers that we've seen coming on stream. Um, I'm not going to pick out yes, Billy, just because we were talking about them last week, but there are going to be a whole bunch of them that have just produced relatively small runs of Windows phone devices, maybe 50,000 units or something like that, or even less. And, you know, for them to actually roll out the update and approve it all, that might be a bit unrealistic. There'll also be um, devices from certain operators where they just don't get approved. We've seen that happen with a couple of the Lumia devices from the likes of uh, T-Mobile, for example, and from other operators around the world. So I, I think, you know, Microsoft is probably quite right to hedge bets and say it might not be available on the majority or on most or whatever language they choose to use. Um, from a technical point of view, it absolutely will be. From a functional point of view, they'll probably be a bit missing on those lower RAM devices and that it'll be interesting to actually play about with it on those devices when it does become available, Steve, and see whether there is a, a performance gap or some kind of comparison. I kind of have every confidence that it should just work because I don't think from a technical point of view there's anything that radical in terms of performance that is required. After all, this is kind of running on the same common core as before and really what's up to being updated is some of the application runtime stuff and yeah. even that isn't that radical. So it, it's not like there's big new features that are going to be particular processor intensive. It will be the same restrictions as before about how many things can run in the background, about certain tasks running and maybe even certain types of applications um, but i don't expect microsoft to make the same mistake that they did with you know windows 7.8 and the 8 and the whole fuss around that and indeed with kind of low ram um, applications in, in windows phone 8 itself so uh, kind of a shading on what you said there even if it's not a completely different opinion <laughs> but i do go and see the comments thread because it's uh it'll be quite entertaining Lively. it's growing nicely <laughs> Um, a few minor stories before we finish just to say that they have been perhaps timed to coincide with the Windows 10 announcement. Um, we've had major updates for um, Skype with a, a new compact layout, and which is a, not before time. It was always rather large fonted and slightly ugly on device, large devices like the 1520. That's now got smaller fonts and, and less white space, which is good. Update for Twitter. Um, it's now it shows up properly in the People Hub and also in the Share To menu, which is jolly good. And also for Spotify, which now has got a lot prettier. Um, and my several of our, my family use Spotify, so that's good to see. So three major app updates, Rafe. Anything strike you in particular? Actually, in the Twitter one, there's also a return of integration into the People Hub. This is something you see if you're looking at a contact and you kind of swipe over, you'll see history, and then you'll see what's new. And this aggregates kind of status updates. And previously, um, we actually did have this with quite a few services. It's something that kind of went away with Windows Phone 8. You just had the Facebook entries. Now with Twitter, you can uh, choose if you've got multiple accounts, which one you kind of want to integrate with People Hub. You'll check through your People Hub and see matching names and then associate obviously their twitter names with them and then you'll then see their twitter status updates you can't do much with them they're just a read only of course <laughs> yes i should say it, it's read only it's more identifying which update goes where that's yeah good good point of clarity there but yeah it's a nice thing to have i mean i don't know how many people use that kind of status updates in people lab i do quite a bit just to see what the last update that um, someone posted about was actually obviously you see a, a stream of updates and there's inline image support and a few other nice bits and pieces in there so that was actually kind of for me at least the most significant bit of the uh, twitter update but uh, as you say good to see things like like dropbox arriving as well and then where it was skype and, and spotify it feels like there's a bit more app activity going on the old chestnut still remains about the app gap of course but uh yeah um, quite a bit of activity around the windows yeah. phone for this week i do want to mention one thing that isn't really phone related at all steve but it's just quite cool okay go on. 
Well, it was the bit that kind of stole the show at the Microsoft uh, event, and that was HoloLens, the kind of the oh, first no. holographic computer. Yeah, I, I knew you'd say that. I, I knew you wouldn't be happy. It's years away from Joe Bloggs and his wife and his kids in their living room actually playing Minecraft on top of the living room furniture and virtual reality. I, I'm sorry. It, it was incredibly cool, and I felt a free son of excitement as I watched the video like everybody did it's now up to 4 million views is it in 24 hours something ridiculous it's a wonderful slice of future tech and I'm in full marks to Microsoft for bringing it on board it's a bit like Google Glass really it's a vision of the future that I think will take quite a number of years to actually reach you know real, real living rooms and real people I can still tell Steve got out of bed the wrong side this morning. He's being nasty about HoloLens. He doesn't think anyone's going to get the Windows 10 update. They've got 512 megabyte of RAM and everything else. But uh, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, it's, it's fair to say that it's probably in beta and it's technology demonstrated. It does appear to be a bit further ahead than Google Glass and the Explorer program was when it was first announced. And obviously things like Oculus Rift, all those comparisons are going to be made because uh, Microsoft said it would be available in the uh, sort of same timeline as Windows 10, which actually could mean pretty much anything. I mean, arriving this year probably for developers and maybe uh, for consumers next year. No way of really knowing. What interested me about this was more the ambition and what it said about Microsoft in terms of the confidence of the company, the way it's changing. And it's absolutely true to say that Microsoft missed mobile in a big way. Not for want of trying. There was Windows Mobile in its various guises and then Windows Phone. But, you know, we live in a, an Android and iOS dominated world, at least as far as smartphones are concerned. But I think it's worth sometimes reminding ourselves that smartphones aren't necessarily the end of the technology story. It's not the end of the road. And, you know, there will be computing's next shape, just as smartphones sort of have become dominant and replaced PCs for a lot of activities or certainly PDAs and things like that. Conversion, a whole bunch of technology. It's entirely possible that we will see other forms of uh, computing emerge. And this idea of a holographic computing platform, I think, is really interesting, particularly one that goes beyond the kind of the entertainment things that uh, Oculus Rift is sort of so well known for. And I think perhaps that Microsoft emphasis on productivity and this Windows 10 linkage might actually make this something that gets onto the consumer mindset and to the market just a, a little bit quicker. It gives it that little push. And I thought the demos that were shown, which are well worth looking at if you haven't seen around kind of Mars demonstrated the immersive entertainment. Then there was Minecraft, the kind of the augmented reality in the home, as well as the DIY demo. So you could kind of do a Skype call and get someone to show you how to fix your broken light switch or whatever it happened to be. But also kind of less emphasized was the idea you could sort of have applications floating in front of you. And and that in itself is quite interesting, that being able to build 3D models and then have them printed out in 3D. I think there's a lot of potential there. And it's very difficult to assess those kind of things. Is this really the next big thing for computing? I actually think it's probably more innovative and more interesting than it might appear at first glance. It's very difficult to see where it will go. But uh -huh. as I say, for me, it's actually as interesting because of what it says about Microsoft and the way it's thinking, the way it's continuing to push at the edges of technology. And, and that's to be very welcomed. And, you know, you wonder what sort of future mergers there could be and holographic displays. And it all sounds a bit sci-fi, but um, I've spoken to a couple of people who've seen the demo in person. And they were very impressed. They said, you know, it's clearly still an early product. It's still got a way to go. But more so than some of the other, oh, wow, from Oculus Rift, they actually said it felt like it had a real sense of utility because it wasn't just immersive VR or it wasn't just augmented reality. It combined both and added in a bit of a computing platform. So one yeah. to watch, certainly. Um, <laughs> you mark my words. It, it'll come out for $1,500 in the USA only and be cancelled three years later. Oh, no, that was Google Glass. Oh, you, you, you cynic, Steve. <laughs>
anyway, uh, we'll keep an eye on it. But as I say, I think the thing to look forward to next, really, Steve, is the fact that you'll be able to get through the Insider program, Windows 10 on your existing Windows Phone 8 devices in really just a matter of weeks. Um, not sure when in February it's going to happen. I, I would have thought it will happen sometime in the middle, certainly before Mobile World Congress, which kicks off on the 1st of March. But really looking forward to trying out some of the universal applications and might actually tempt me to uh, get a laptop onto Windows 10 as well so I can kind of have the full experience. But uh, until then, I guess there's some people still waiting for Lunar Denim. Sorry about that. I'm included in that particular population. Um, but I have to admit, I'm kind of more excited about Windows 10 than anything else now. Yeah, and uh, we should mention, of course, that if you do get Windows 10 uh, on your phone in a two or three weeks' time, it will be an extreme alpha status. Joe Balefiore was went to great pains in the presentation yesterday several times to mention these are early builds, and I re- certainly would not recommend playing with that insider build on your main Windows phone. By all means, to dig out that, that, that phone that's in a drawer and use that as the test phone, because I think it will be m- several months at least before it's fully stable and fully able to be used as a daily phone. Indeed. Um, um, have you nominated your sacrificial lamb yet, Steve? I think the Lumia 930, because that's high enough, so really high spec, and it's not a device I love in the same way as I love my phones with glance. <laughs> there we go. Well, yeah, so it was either the 940 or possibly the 1520 for me. Uh, yeah. be uh, interesting to test out uh, and probably also want to put it on a low-end device as well to give some feedback to our, our listeners on yeah. that as well. But, yes, that's all happening in a few weeks, uh, but we're probably getting to the point where we've done enough podcast recording for this week. <laughs> I, yes, I would like to say, actually, that uh, in the next podcast, I would like to return to some of these application updates. They've been fairly major, and we've completely glossed over them. The Dropbox one, Dropbox one for example, but uh, I would like to come back in next week's podcast to those and more and really catch up people up with what's been happening in the world of applications they can use right here and now, regardless of whether Denim has actually arrived or not on their phone. I'm, yes, I'm getting rather frustrated here. You can probably <laughs> tell. That's why I'm on the beer. But for enough yakking for now, hopefully we'll be back next week. If we're if collapsed in a heap somewhere, then do excuse us if we have an extra few days off. But uh, until then, I'll say goodbye. Yes, and goodbye from me as well. There won't be two podcasts next week, but we will return to our regular programming and, and talk about apps and some more uh, device reviews and all that kind of thing. But for now, thanks very much for listening. We always welcome your feedback and don't forget to tune in to episode 126, which will be next week.